Oh, oh, something. Okay, as we get started here today. <laughs> okay, thank you. Thank you. Okay, let's get started. Okay, thank you. Let's get started. Okay. I only have 35 minutes, so, uh, you know, uh, thank you so much to all of you for, uh, for coming here. You know, a week ago, a little over a week ago, we had no location for this uh, service. Uh, we had nowhere to meet. The community center was going to be unavailable. And I called up uh, Simone, and I said, I've got an issue. And immediately she said, no problem. We're going to take care of it. I don't know all the details. I don't all figured out, but we're going to take care of it. Uh, Jeff and Simone run this facility here. And they have been unbelievable partners for us. The women's ministry meets here on Tuesdays. And what a lot of you don't know is they do not charge the church for the women meeting here. Um, so I want to say thank you to Jeff and Simone. If you could please stand up so we can see you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Love you guys. Um, also, guys, this was so crazy trying to... Uh, started a whole other church in a new location, a new thing. And I just say, we have the best volunteers, you know, Cappy, Billy, uh, Mike, Saxon, just problem solving. Darren was an unbelievable resource. Of course, Melanie's amazing. The band was amazing. Everybody really came together, all of our volunteers, Lisa, uh, Tamara, everybody to do this. And so we're really just so thankful for the people that are serving in this church. All of you outside, thank you for directing traffic in here. Uh, I don't know a lot of churches that could just turn on a dime and have a whole new location immediately and then see this. This is clearly a sign that God's hand is on this church. I can't do this. I don't have the ability to. Uh, God can't. You are here as, as a result of what God is doing in this church. So thank you so much uh, for being here and just for who you are. Uh, as uh, I mentioned before, in the if you by the way, if you don't get my weekly email, it is literature. You need to get it. So... Um, <laughs> Write down your email and then put that on the card as, and as the offering passes. Please put that in there so you can get on our weekly email uh, list. But the, the, um, this has got covered patios and uh, the deck area. So if the kids get a little rambunctious, they can go outside. No problem. Won't hurt my feelings. Uh, but uh, we'll, uh, we'll, uh, we just want them to enjoy themselves. This isn't a bad view, right? I hope you like it because we will be here at Christmas. So Christmas Eve service. We will also be here, but it'll be all decorated, and it's going to be amazing. Uh, we're going to have that service at 3 o'clock because I wanted our, our messages uh, or our services go an hour, and I wanted you to be home in time for dinner and the whole deal. So it'll be from 3 to 4, uh, so that's that. And then uh, that following Sunday, we'll be here as well. I tell you, this week, we're really, really excited. So we're getting started with uh, uh, today and this week. We're uh, talking about family month. When we talk about family month, we're talking about how to have healthy relationships. This is weird because I'm like a walker, so it's going to be kind of, I've got no stage, I've got no limits. Um, so we want to have healthy relationships. The first week we talked about bids. How do you bid? How do you request connectivity? What does that look like? And we talked about that because we want to make sure that you're connecting with your family or your friends or you're, you're, you're building those relationships in a healthy way. You know, last week we talked about how to break some of the, the bad patterns you've got going on, some of the patterns that aren't very healthy. How do you break that from generation to generation? And today we are going to be talking about uh, how when you're saying something and it doesn't go off quite right the way you wanted it to. Have you ever done that? Have you ever talked to somebody and they're just like, I don't get you, I don't understand why you're saying this, and you're feeling, oh, this happened to me. Uh, I was in junior high, 
And uh, my buddy Josh says, hey, would you like to go down to Rosarito and we're going to spend the weekend on the beach just hanging out, surfing and bodyboarding and having fun and living on the beach. I'm like, yes, sign me up. He goes, well, one little thing, it's my church is going. I'm like, ah, you're tricking me. Uh, but, but real quick, we're, we're just going to go to this church in Tijuana, and we're going to deliver some ba- uh, blankets and some other things, and then we're going to go and have some fun. I was like, okay, I can handle that. If it's for you know the weekend, I'll just go and say hi to the church and get blankets and go away. Um, so I go down there, and on the way down, there's this kid named Hector. And Hector says, hey, do you speak Spanish? And I said, no. And he says, well, we're going to Mexico. And I was like, I get it. And he goes, hey, you should say, you know, you should say something that would get the people to, 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 to respond to you. And I was like, okay, well, we're like, teach me a word. He goes, okay. Oh, I got one. Uh, it's Spanish for buddy or, or, or friend. And I'm like, well, what is he? He's like, it's the word tonto. And I was like, okay, um, great. And he goes, and if it's a female, it's tonta. I was like, oh, okay, great. So <clears throat> we go down to this church and a couple hours later, and uh, we're all sitting in the front stage, and uh, uh, I don't know what this obviously means. And so we're sitting there, and you're supposed to stand up, and say something like your name and what you like to do or whatever. And I'm a pretty gregarious, outgoing person, so I thought this would be a good thing. And so I stand up, and I said, uh, it was my turn, and I stand up and said, hola, tontos and tontas, welcome. <laughs> and they looked at me like I, would, like I threw paint on them. They just looked horrified at me. And I didn't understand what was going on. I was like, I don't know what's going on. The guy who told me even looked shocked. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, you told me to say that. He goes, I was joking. Your last name is Valencia. I thought you knew some sort of Spanish. You are the worst Hispanic I have ever met in my life. They should change your name to Smith. This is terrible. What I didn't know is, is that tonto or tonta meant dummy. So I literally said, hi, dummies. Uh, That didn't go over well with them. Uh, and it made me feel really dumb. Uh, but, and the youth pastor there got Hector in trouble. I didn't get in trouble. But, uh, but it was just you know, one of those things where you just feel like this isn't going well. I just like abort mission, get out of this. It's not going well. Maybe you've had that done to you as well, where you're trying to talk to somebody, you're trying to communicate with somebody, and it's just not working. You don't know why. A lot of this is the nuance of how we communicate, and it's body language. It's things that we don't say. Communication is, com- is complicated, full of layers of nuance. What mat- uh, words matter, but they're not all that matter. So what you say matters, yes, but it's how you do it. It's how you say things. Now, in one study, when people were asked how they knew how someone felt, they said only 7% of their clues came from words, 38% from voice inflections, but the majority, 55%, were based on facial expressions and other body language. So what all this means... If we want to bid and respond to other bids for connection more accurately and healthily, we need to get better at noticing and communicating with nuance. Not doing so leads to miscommunication, busted bids, and disintegrated relationships. This is what actually happens, guys, with King Xerxes and Queen Vashti when we're uh, talking about them. This is what happens there with them. They're not communicating well. His second wife, Esther, corrects this, and we'll get into that in just a minute. Now, John Gottman, he's a philosophical researcher. John Gottman outlined six basic modes of communication, and we're going to go over them uh, today. Now, why are we going to go over them uh, today? Because I want to make sure that you are responding to people's connection in a positive way. I want to make sure that you have healthy relationships. I want to make sure that you could have those solid foundational relationships. And, And here are six ways that John Gottman outlines it. Now, number one is body language. 
body language that says a lot. You don't believe me? Watch an NBA basketball game. I love the Lakers. I love like LeBron. I think it's all awesome and fun. But the NBA players are the biggest babies in the world. <laughs> Nothing's a foul. You ever notice that? Every time they call a foul, they run up the court and they're just jumping up and down. They don't need to say a word, but you could tell they're very upset about what just happened. And they're, I mean, I mean, like you could have like a 12-year-old gymnast in the Olympics break her leg and land on it and still smile. But if like an NBA player gets brushed, they're just like moving back really bad and, and they're yelling at every call or they're, they're moving with their body. They're telling you they're disappointed in the ref. They're using their body language. Well, the face can tell you what people are feeling. It's the body that reveals just how strong those feelings are. The simplest way to, to think about this is open and closed posturing. So let me teach you this. Closed posturing. Okay? So when you're talking to someone, it's closed. It's turning away from, backing away, crossing arms or legs, or covering your face. So when you're talking to somebody and you notice this, these are communicating, I feel uncomfortable. You make me nervous. I don't want to have this conversation here or with you. I don't like what you just said, and I don't agree, and I don't want to be here. That's what closed is. So when you notice that, that's what they're saying to you. They're not saying it verbally, but they're saying that through their physical action. Open is leaning in, appropriate eye contact, uncrossed arms and legs, and nodding in agreement. These communicate, I'm interested in this conversation, I'm at ease, I trust you, tell me more, and I want to be here. Now in Esther 5.2, it says this, when he saw, uh, talking about uh, King Xerxes, when he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out her uh, to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And what is this all saying? They didn't say one word. But the way Esther stands in the doorway, the way Xerxes invites her in and holds out his scepter, and the way she approaches all body language that communicates, we're open to each other. She's communicating, I want to talk to you, but I don't want to intrude. And he's communicating, I'm glad to see you say whatever you want. They didn't have to say a word, but they were communicating that. Number two, physical touches. Now, there's a broad category as well, but the way people touch says a lot about how people feel about each other and how comfortable and attached they are. A single touch can express so much. Friends, I get this. I'm a hugger, and a lot of you are not. <laughs> so what you'll do is you'll put your little fist out. It's like, hey, this is all good. I don't need a hug. But I don't think anybody's really trained you. <laughs> Let's hear for Andrew, everybody. My actor today is Andrew. Andrew and I have known each other for years, and, and we've hugged for years. And guys, if you want to stay manly but still hug, you just got to do the three-tap I'm still manly hug. Got it? Here we go. Hi, Andrew. James, good to see you. Good to see you. I'm, I'm still, still manly. manly. Okay, good to see you. All right. Simple, direct, easy. You're still connecting, but you don't have to be like a wimpy guy. It's like, I'm still manly. By the way, not everybody uh, in churches like hugs. <laughs> I found this out the hard way. Um, there was a pretty prominent pastor, and he's a brilliant pastor. I mean, he is so, so smart. He ran Mariner's Church for years. He's a former senior pastor there. I mean, he is an organizational guru. People come around. Uh, I don't want to, well, is he, okay, his name's Pastor Kenton. He's a really just a, a brilliant, brilliant guy. And so and I, was really, I was really excited to meet him. So when I met him, I go up, and I'm like, hey, Kenton, how are you? And I gave him a hug. And no joke, he went like this. <laughs> and I kind of like, I'm sorry. And I realized, he told me later, he's not a big hugger. That's okay. You don't have to be. So when in doubt, ask. 
If you're not sure, just ask. This is a broad, again, this is a broad category, but just ask. The, the point is, touching is powerful. It can have a big impact on others, negative or positive. It's a good idea to ask yourself, from the other person's perspective, is this likely to strengthen or weaken the relationship? If you're not sure, ask. Number three is metaphors. We often don't know how to say or don't feel comfortable saying or don't have time to fully go into how we feel about something or someone. So we use a shorthand of a metaphor. It's a shared expression or a word picture that gives people a lot of information with very few words. You've maybe heard it said before, um, our marriage was a train wreck. Uh, we're just trying to stay afloat financially. My dad likes to play God. Uh, each of these give us a lot of information about how someone is feeling without having uh, to spell it out. The reason we do this is as infants, we couldn't think of the abstract, so we could only relate to concepts like security, nourishment, or nurturing through the physical t objects that gave us those feelings. So our blanket equaled security, milk equaled nourishment, mom equaled nurturing. But as we mature, our ability to reason develops, but we tend to understand and explain the world through these sorts of connections. So when you hear a metaphor, ask open-ended questions to unpack how this feels or how that feels. Esther 5.3. Then the king asked, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up, up to half the kingdom, I will give it to you. Even up to half the kingdom, I will give it to you. Now, unless, you know, he's in California, he means it. I mean, he's like, I'm going to give you everything. The king, half the kingdom is a metaphor for I love you. I'll do anything for you. You can be open and honest with me. I want to help you. You're my person. I will give you anything. Maybe somebody have said, I, you have my heart. What does that mean? Does that mean you want to physically cut it out of your chest and hand it to the person? No. It means this is what keeps me alive. And you have it. You have my heart. I love you that much. Number four is voice inflection. Now, it's not just what you say. It's how you say it. And this is what can make texts and emails so confusing. You, can hear the, you can't hear the pitch or uh, the rate, volume, or emphasis they intended to place on certain words or phrases. So you'll fill in the blanks yourself. Do not solve issues through text. Do not solve issues through email. There is no tone in it. So since there's no tone in it, it's left to uh, your imagination to fill in the blanks. It's, and mostly you get it wrong. And by the way, uh, another reason I don't like a text or email is because of spell check. <laughs> I was, uh, when I started a campus, uh, I had a real sweet lady working with me, serving with me. She was a real nice So finally one day, she sat me down, and she said, um, I need to talk to you. And I was like, yeah, sure. And she said, I don't know how kids talk nowadays, but it's a little disrespectful. I was like, well, I don't understand how it's disrespectful, but I'm sorry. I apologize. Well, I just don't like what you call me. And I go, well, what do I call you? And she looked at it. Her name was Trish, but it came out as trash. So I would say, hey, trash, can you help me? Trash, you, where are you? I didn't see you here. Trash, you were supposed to be there on, you know. And, and I said, I am so sorry. I am, from that moment on, I ended up calling her Nani. I didn't even call her Trish anymore because of that uh, little mishap there. Now, we are going to get, I'm going to give you, if you weren't here the past couple weeks, I'm going to give you a little bit of a reminder about exactly what, uh, where, where we're at with, with uh, King Xerxes and, and Queen Esther. So King Xerxes has got the biggest providence in the entire place, in entire world, actually. He is a Persian king, and his wife, Queen Vashti, is the queen. And they are starting to have issues, but they don't talk about their issues. They assume a lot of stuff. King, king uh, Xerxes is assuming a lot. Queen Vashti is assuming a lot. 
King Xerxes is having celebrations. Simultaneously, Queen Vashti is having celebrations, and they're not communicating at all. She hurts his feelings. He gets upset. Instead of talking to her, he banishes her. He then feels guilty and bad. I shouldn't have banished her. Now what do I do? And his buddies get together. We talked about this last week. Then they have like an like a ancient bachelor episode. And so they get all the women in the province, and they try to hook up the new king. The king then picks uh, Esther uh, for her beauty. She's this beautiful woman. Now, the king doesn't know that Esther is Jewish. And so Mordecai raised Queen Esther since she was a baby. He adopted her, basically. And um, so Mordecai's at the beginning saying, hey, maybe just kind of keep it on the down low because things are going pretty well. Until Mordecai finds out that this guy Haman is actually wanting to kill all the, the Jewish people. And so Mordecai, who raised Esther, says, you know what? That's not going to happen on my watch. I'm going to do something about it. So he tears his clothes and he goes to the kingdom. And they said, you can't come in here because the king only wants to hear good things. And he only wants to hear positive things. And so, so they don't let him in. And then Queen Esther has like this dilemma. What do I do? Do I go help the guy who raised me and, and I know what's right? Or do I keep my mouth shut? What do I do? Well, we're going to find out just exactly what she does. Does she side with the one who, who brought her up and do the right thing? Or does she say, let me just keep quiet and, and not say anything? Uh, so here we're going to pick it up here. Esther 5, 3 through 4. Again, then the, queen, then the king said to her, what is troubling you, Queen Esther? And what is your request? Even half the kingdom it shall be given to you. Esther said, if it pleases the king, may the king and Haman come to this day to the banquet that I have prepared for him. Haman is the one that wants to destroy all of the Jews. She says, let's have a banquet. I want you to come. You know what? Bring Haman too. This is getting good. Okay. So, but when he says, what do you want? What is your request? What, do you, what is his tone that he's using? He says, I genuinely want to know and will not respond harshly or judgmentally when you tell me. And the word selection and pacing she uses in her response communicates a complete lack of entitlement, any posture of humility. So what he didn't do with Vashi, he's correcting that now with uh, Esther. Now, number five, facial expressions. It's hard to hide what you're thinking or really feeling because our face leaks out whether we want it to or not. And although we all tend to communicate similar feelings in similar ways to accurately know how a person is feeling, you have to get familiar with their default settings. Guys, we know this, don't we? I love it. See, want to see? Okay, I'm going to give you an example. When Melanie looks at me like, ah, oh, that means I love you. Then there is the, and that is, are you going to order that? That will kill you. That's not all. Uh, we've got the other, like, that's, what are you doing? I literally told the kids they can't have a Twinkie, and they're walking around with Twinkies. There's that, that, that confused look. And then there's the, I know you think you're funny, but you're really annoying. She's giving me that right now. I'm getting it right now. Look at that. See? Example. Exhibit A. Thank you, honey. Then there's the dreaded, and guys, you know this one. We'll talk later. That's the, you don't want that one. So it's helpful to be aware of how your face looks to other people and what that's communicating. Now, as we continue, Esther 5, 6. As they were drinking wine, the king again asked her, now, what is your petition? It will be given to you. And what is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Xerxes is paying close attention uh, to know when she says, this is what I want, uh, that there's more to the story. He likely uh, knows this because of the discrepancy between her words and her uh, facial expression. So he could tell something's not right. Something's not right. You're not saying it. I could tell from your face something's not right. 
And then the sixth one is feeling words. Other of us know we're feeling something. We're just not sure what it is. Putting your feelings into words helps not only you, but the people you're trying to communicate to. It may take time, effort, and energy, but that process will help you understand yourself, explain uh, yourself to others. An indicator that you need to get in touch with what you're really feeling is if you find yourself staying busy to avoid feeling or if you are constantly angry. Anger is a secondary emotion telling you that there is some unprocessed feelings you have to explore. Now, the people that I know that are very angry people 100% of the time have unresolved stuff. 100% of the time. Whatever, if they grew up in a certain way, if they got some, a boss that they just can't connect with, whatever it is, if they are angry, they have something that is not resolved in their life. So, I mean, and it could be anything. Even if they make a mistake, they have to be the ones that call out the mistake, but you cannot call out the mistake. So if they blow it, it's like, I blew it. I already know I blew it. I'm, I don't even say anything because I'm the one that has to say it. And it creates a very narcissistic attitude, meaning I want to control everything. I want to control my finances, my home, my children, my, my life, my, my job. my fi- And they want control over everything, and they don't want to give up any little bit of control because then if they give up some control, then they have to admit, maybe I don't know everything. And it petrifies them. So they go around with this anger inside of them because they're afraid to lose this kingdom that they built. And they don't want to lose it. And they, want, they think everybody's out to take what they have, so they don't trust anyone. So it creates this very uh, narcissistic attitude. But when the, 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 the uh, point of it is, is that if you really want to get healthy, you've got to admit you don't know everything. You've got to admit that you don't have it all figured out. That, 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 that's not all about you. Now, Esther 5.7 says this. Now, Esther, here's where it gets really good. Because Esther, instead of being meek and quiet and just kind of whatever, she says this. Again, Haman's the one that wants to destroy your people, and he does not know she is Jewish. Esther replied, my petition and my request is this. So again, she feels safe to open up. Esther uh, 7, 3 through 6. Then Esther, queen, answered, if I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my people. This is my request. She comes out and says it. She doesn't say it meekly. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. But you know what? I'm Jewish. Don't tell anyone. She says, save my people. Goes on to say, for I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, who is he? Where is he? The man who has dared to do such a thing. (laughs) Esther said, an adversary and enemy, this vile Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. Uh Uh-oh, Haman. (laughs) You bet on the wrong horse. Unfortunately, history didn't learn from this idiot because a lot of people have just tried to destroy the Jewish people, and it will never work, ever, including in this last century. Yet another ding-dong that tried to do this, and it didn't work for him either. It's never going to work. These are God's people. So, uh, so uh, clearly, uh, you know, um, she's not afraid. She just calls it right out. Now, it all, it all started how? What gave her the courage to start to be honest about where, where she was at. It was from Mordecai. If Mordecai, the one who raised her, had kept quiet and said, you should keep quiet, then it would have been just, you know, brushed under the rug. 
He was open. He was honest. He's handled things in a proactive way and not in a passive way. He didn't, he didn't lie to anybody. He went out and he said exactly how he felt, and it gave Esther the courage to do that. That had implications that saved her people. Now, what if Queen Esther would have kept it all in and not addressed it? She would have lived a lie with a bunch of guilt, and she would have been uh, dooming her own people. She would have been enslaved to this secret. Now, let me ask you a question. Who's still owning you? Because this is something that we need to address before we leave today. Who is owning you? See, Esther was trying to, to save her people, and you could say, well, I don't know if I'm trying to save a people or a whole race of people, but there are people that own you. How do I know that? If their name comes up on your phone, you get nervous. The thought of seeing them makes you very scared. Um, uh, if they walk into a place and, they, and you see them, you, you, you get all like your heart starts racing. Or if you're walking, like uh, if you're you know, at Starbucks and they walk in, you want to immediately walk out. They own you. They are in your head. And instead of addressing it, instead of talking about it, we just try to put it under the rug and pretend that as long as they don't have to see me or hear me for the next few minutes, that I could just keep living my life. They're owning you, but they own you. You might not be a physical slave, but mentally, they're owning you. Now, I'm going to give you an example, and I've used this before, but when I was praying over this message, God just really put this on my heart. So I will uh, share this to you because I feel like it's a good example of what, uh, of what this could look like. But um, so my worst Christmas, my worst, worst Christmas of all time uh, was Christmas of 1988. Um, and that was when my first Christmas without both of my parents being together. Now, um, we would have Christmas Eve together as a huge family. Uh, Mark uh, remembers those days. My brother Vic. They were just so awesome. All of us would get together. All my cousins, everybody would get together, and it was the best Christmas. And then, and then my parents get divorced, and it all goes away. Why? Because my dad handled things in a very passive way, and he wanted everybody to feel sorry for him. He was a victim. Feel bad for me. Uh, I, I'm the one that's getting uh, treated, mis mistreated. This, this is unfair to me. It was not true. He was just being this passive, like, give me pity. My mom was trying to handle things in a very proactive way. Let's talk about this. Let's go to counseling. She was getting involved in her, in her church group. She was trying to be proactive with it. Two different ways of handling this situation. And so um, because my dad was handling it in such a passive way, there was uh, people started taking sides and started feeling bad for him, sorry for him. And it culminated in going to Christmas, and I said, Mom, please go to Christmas, please. I, I, want you, I know that you and Dad aren't together anymore. You don't even have to talk to him, but I just want us together for this Christmas, please. She's like, well, I'm doing stuff at the store. They, they had a, a bakery, and she said, but after that, I, I'll, I'll come. And she goes, in fact, I bought some presents, and they, we didn't have any money because the banks froze all of our assets because they had a business together. So she didn't have any money, but she got together some money, and she, she wrapped up little presents, and, and she went over to the to, uh, to where our Christmas was. And I remember she told me, she said, I had to straighten out, and I kind of, I put on my nicest clothes, and I was like, whew, ring the doorbell. She comes in, and immediately as she is met with people looking at her like, you don't belong here. This is a woman that's been in this family for 30 years, and they immediately said, you don't belong here. Now, she could have just turned around and just walked out, but she tried to just muscle it through, and so... Um, finally, my grandmother, who was not well, who was a very nice lady, but she was not well, and she listened to a bunch of uh, junk that my dad had said, uh, and uh, she was kind of babying him, and, and uh, uh, 
she looked at my mom and she says, what are you doing here? And my mom said, it's Christmas. Come on, I have some presents. And she says, you don't belong here. You need to leave. So, um, so she, um, she said, okay. She gave away all the presents and uh, she got in the car and went away. Um, so when I went home, I was pretty frustrated, but I knew something was really wrong, even though I was a kid, a little kid. Um, I went home, and um, my brother, who is like Wally Cleaver and did everything right <laughs> and got straight A's. In fact, in school, uh, the teachers would always say, are you sure you're Victor's brother? And I'm like, I don't know. Um, never talked back to authority ever. And he looked at my grandmother, and he said, Grandma, I love you but don't you ever talk to my mother like that again. And we left. So when I go home, I find her on her knees crying and praying for my grandmother and my dad. And I'm going to be very honest with you. I said to myself, that's weak. She's being weak. She was just treated terribly. Now she's praying for him. And I said, Mom, I don't get you. She goes, what don't you understand? I'm like, I don't believe that this all-loving God is going to destroy our family, and then you're going to go back to that guy and say, please help us, please. Obviously, it's a wreck. Dad's not coming back. I don't understand why we're praying about this. He failed us. And she says, no, honey, he didn't. She said, if I don't pray for your father and for your grandmother, hate's going to seep into my heart. And if that happens, then they're going to control me. And I refuse to be controlled by any human being. I am a child of God. I will not be controlled by them. So join me in praying with me. So I did. I tried my best. It was hard. I didn't want to. Not too much longer, um, my grandmother's health was getting worse. And my uh, mom went to the house. She knocked on the door. My grandfather let her in. And my grandmother said, what are you doing? And she says, I just want you to know, Grandma, that I love you. And I know that things aren't going to go well with my marriage to your son. But can I pray with you? And she says, okay. And they ended up praying together. And my mom looked at my grandmother. And before she left, she says, I love you. And my grandmother says, I love you too. That removed any guilt that my mom would ever have for the rest of her life. After my grandmother had passed, no guilt, no nothing. I made that right. Now, she was prepared that my grandmother would say, no, I don't want to make things right with you. She was prepared. At least I did my part. Friends, a lot of you think because you're not going to get that response back, then what's the use? That's the wrong way to think about it. Because if you're going to take that initiative to go do that, you have now removed any ownership that they have over you. Whether they want to accept it or not is now irrelevant. She was basically like, you know what? If grandma would have kicked me out again... And she's not in my head anymore. I've already made peace with God, and I've made peace with her. If she doesn't want it, I'm good. There are people in your life that have that control over you right now. And what I'm saying is, let that go. Have those conversations. If you're not sure how to do it, let's meet. I'm the pastor of this church. And what does that mean? That does not mean that I am the boss here. I am not. I am here to serve you. That's my job. When South Hills hires pastors, they hire feet washers. You are here to serve the people in this community. You are not the head honcho. 
If you've got some struggles with this, let me know. If you don't have it already, pull out a 1399. It is 949 area code. 7013995. That is my cell phone number. I don't want any of you going out today feeling that somebody is still owning you. I want you to have that freedom that only comes from Jesus. We're going to continue um, doing what we do, guys. We're not perfect. I'm not perfect. But this is an example that God is, and he's taking care of us. This is something real, guys. I've never seen anything like this in all of my years of ministry. I would love for you, if you aren't yet a part of our church family, I would love to invite you to be a part of our church family. If you have yet to accept Jesus in your heart, I'm going to end right now. And I'd love for you to pray this prayer. And if you pray that prayer, let us know it. You can put that on the card. And I will personally call you and meet with you and coffee's on me and I'll walk you through it. <clears throat> if you'd like to invite Jesus in your heart, you say this prayer. Jesus, I am tired of being used. I am tired of being confused. And I want to be free. And I want the freedom that only you give. So right now, Jesus, I, I ask you to come into my heart to be real in my life. I ask you to be my savior. I thank you for forgiving me for my sins. And I ask that you prepare a place for me in your home in heaven. And you give me a purpose and a plan for my life here on earth. So the best way I know how, God, I'm asking you today to be my Savior. Father, if anybody said that prayer right now, we know that heaven is celebrating and it's rejoicing because that's one more person that does not have to live in fear, that does not have to live in anguish anymore, that, they did, that, that knows that, that you've got this. Father, you're not going to... You're not, we're not exempt from pain. Your earthly mother had pain. Your earthly friends had pain. You're not going to exempt us from pain, but you will remind us that you've got this and that with you all things are possible. So God, we thank you for this service. We thank you for this day. And we thank you that no matter where we are, whether at the community center, this ocean club, or standing on the beach in Doheny, this church will not be deterred by anything. It's in your precious and powerful name. Amen. All right, if, uh, as Pastor James just said, if you pray that for the first time, we would love to talk to you afterwards. If he's busy talking to someone, you can contact Mark, Jeff, myself, Michael. Uh, any of the leaders here would love to, to sit and talk with you about that. Well, we've just completed a series on community and family. So now we're just starting doing what we just learned about community and family. This isn't the end of the series. This is the beginning of using what we just learned. And I don't know about you guys, but I have learned a lot uh, Appreciating people, communication styles, um, just all the different things, even today, body language. Some of you were practicing your body language, showing Pastor James how really into the service you were by looking at him and everything and laughing at all his jokes. So all these things that we've been learning, we need to take now to our homes and to businesses and our neighborhood. Uh, we can't just be a month we do once a year. It's got to be something we do all year round. Let's pray for offering. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this beautiful setting you've given us today. Lord, we thank you for every breath we take. Lord, no matter what the weather is outside, Father, we just thank you for everything that we have. Everything we have is, comes from you, Lord, and we, we know that you will always provide. There are people here who are hurting financially. We pray that you would guide them, give them the wisdom to uh, find the solutions, Lord, 
uh, in dealing with the situation that they're in. Father, that they would go to get advice and help and counsel in these areas. We thank you for all of the people here who are enjoying a prosperity, Father, financially. And we just thank you that we get to give that much more during those times. We pray, Lord, that you would just take this money and bless it and use it to your goodwill. In my pray. Amen. Every time he hands me the mic, he turns it off. He's trying to set me up. <laughs> Love you, Vic. It's so unusual, it's frightening. You see right through the mess inside me. But you, you call me out to pull me in. The kindly eye can start again. And I don't have to keep on hiding. I'm fully known and loved by you. You won't let go, no matter what I do. It's not one or the other. It's hard truth and ridiculous grace to be known, fully known and loved by you. So I want you to keep pursuing. You don't like me to go astray. Oh. But you, you got my heart with your truth, the kind of love that's bulletproof. And I surrender to your kindness. Oh, I'm fully known and loved by you. You won't let go, no matter what I do. Hey. It's not one or the other. It's hard truth and ridiculous grace to be known, fully known and loved by you. I'm fully known and loved by you. How real, how wide, how rich, how high is your heart? I cannot find the reasons why you give me so much. How real, how wide, how rich, how high is your heart? I cannot seem to find the reasons you're giving me so much. I'm fully known and loved by you. You won't let go, I won't let go, no matter what I do. And it's not 